A big thank you to our sponsor, iFixit, who fights for your right to repair and makes really cool tools in the process. If you need to fix your phone, laptop, or even a vacuum, iFixit has thousands of parts, tools, and free guides. Mercury, Mercury Stardust. She's a beacon of hope in the darkest night. Mercury, Mercury Stardust. She'll teach you how to make it all alright. Hey there, hi, my name is Mercury, and I'm the trans handy ma'am. My pronouns are she, her, and I teach compassionate DIY. We're here to help renters, LGBTQIA members, and anyone who's feeling left out in a DIY space. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, thank you for listening to this episode of the Handy Ma'am Hotline. As always, I am joined by the amazing co-host of the show, Maggie Conrad. I feel like you can't say as always, though, anymore. Why? Because you're not always? (laughs) That's right. That's right. You're not. I'm I'm glad to be back, though. Maggie is sometimes the co-host of the show, and other times Mercury does it with, like, a slew or misfits. A slew? Is that what you call it? Sure. A slew of misfits. A string of of, uh, no-gooders. Heathens. I like that. (laughs) Heathens. Queer heathens. (laughs) That being all said, if you're listening to the Handyman Hotline for the very first time, I want you to know that I am called a trans handyman, and I fix things from afar. (laughs) (laughs) I call myself a virtual maintenance technician, and I help people with my now 16 years of maintenance experience with things in their own home, and they call in and text us. Now, we are going to answer, what, five today? We're going to answer five questions today? (gasps) Okay, we're back at it. We're going to do this. (laughs) Now, I like to predict how good we're going to do. Okay. 100%. I'm, I'm, you know what, Maggie, right now I feel, I feel like I'm batting a thousand. Okay. And that's like legendary, you know, <laughs> no one bats a thousand, you know, but I, I am, I am because I'm Mercury motherfucking Stardust. That's wonderful. Now, uh, yeah. That's I wonderful. don't know what that means, but I love it. Wait. Yeah. I, this bat, this baseball, Maggie. I know. We're talking baseball. I mean, I've heard it. Okay. Doesn't, I don't know what it means. Know your audience, Mercury. <laughs> know your audience. Okay. Maggie, are you ready to help some strangers on the internet? I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready to help some strangers on the internet. Let's go! Hello, Mercury. This is Amanda Sheher calling you all the way from Canada with a house repair question. So I have a house for the first time this year. I had had a condo before where we were on the third floor. So for the first time in my life, I've got a yard and a great big closet in my bedroom. And it has hideous bifold doors that I want to get rid of. They've got like this spring mechanism in the top of them. They're like a wooden bifold door. So I've got one on each side. One of them doesn't have a handle. No amount of Bondo could save it. I have painted them, but I just need them gone. How do I uninstall the dang thing? Like, I'm just trying to figure out how to get them out without damaging the door frame because I have never done this before. I would love your advice on how to get bifold doors out of a closet. Thank you so much for possibly answering my question. I love your podcast and your TikTok content, and I'm so excited to see you venturing on all of your fabulous question answering. I wish you a fabulous day and have a good one. Thank you so, so much. Bye-bye. So the question here, Amanda, is that 
you would like me to help you get the closet door, the bifold door, out of the closet. And my, 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 my solution here is you really can't force the bifold door out of the closet. You have to make sure that they come out of the closet when they're ready. You know, <laughs> at some point, at some point, the bifold door will come to terms with the fact that it's a door. And it might, it might not. Maybe someday the door is going to be like, you know what? I'm a window. And it might be harder. You know what I mean? It might be that you cannot force the bifold door into our binary world, Amanda. You have to let it, you know, come out of the closet when it's ready. Oh, does that metaphor work for you, Maggie? <laughs> it really took me a second to realize where is, you were going with that. Is this the new Apache <laughs> helicopter? <laughs> okay. All that being said, Amanda, what a good question. Matt, throw those photos back up. I wasn't paying attention. Okay, so we have a wonderful, this is great. These photos are so good. Amanda, thank you so much for giving me them. So the way that her bifold door works, it, it, they all work on a rail system, mm-hmm. but they'll have the railing attached above, you know, the, the door itself, and then you have it in the frame, right? The little push-down thing that she talked about, the little springy mm-hmm. thingy, mm-hmm. that little springy thingy will fit, like, right up inside that railing system. Now, you can typically push that springy thingy down and then get it get it out from underneath the rail. Once you get it out from underneath the rail, you can actually unscrew. There'll be like three or four screws that are in the rail that are into the frame of the actual frame itself of the closet. And then you can just take that right down. It's That is what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as like making sure you're not going to damage anything, the one thing that you could damage is that the pivot point of the door where we can't see it, but I know it's there. You know, when it, not the part that goes in and out, that slides back and forth, but the part that stays in one position but goes left or right, that, like, hinge point, mm-hmm. right? The, the one that's closest to the wall is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That side of the door will be a little bit different. Sometimes they are, like, into the frame. Right. Right? Sometimes they are, like, literally right into the frame. Now... You should be able to disconnect it by pushing something down, I believe, most of the time. But if you're not, if it's like in there, right? One of the solutions, if you're not able to to, to figure out the mechanism because it's different for every of them, could just be cutting it. Mm-hmm. It could be cutting it and then grinding it all down. That is something you could theatrically do, okay? The option I would say, though, is start by taking the railing down and by... Getting the the push down springy thingy <laughs> out, and once you do that, you'll have a clear idea of how it's attached to the floor and how it's attached to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done any work on these, Maggie? We have removed bifold doors. Okay, what would your suggestion be now? After I just gave my bitty bit, what would your bitty bit be? So, from my memory, and it's been a few years, but from my memory, the part that attached to like the frame. So, like she was saying, it's the part that, like, stays stationary when the rest of the door is moving. It's, like, the part that, you know, is attached to the frame. It was also a spring, but it wasn't as springy. Yep. It was harder to push down, and there was, like, just a little, like, lip, ridge, jutty, outy thing. It was a lot harder. We had to use a tool, just like a a flathead screwdriver, to, like, push it down because it's... 
the the spring that is on like the part of the door that moves is much more flexible and easy to remove. But once you get one out, then the other, it you know, you just lift it all out and it was no problem. But it was it was it was harder and it will feel like like it will feel like it doesn't move or at least it, ours yep. did because it was very old. Well, they're not used. So so the <clears throat> so those are made to go left or right, right? Mm-hmm. They're not made to go up and down. Right. Because they go up and down one time in 20 years, and then they're yeah. there for a lifetime. Right. Right? And and, and and that's why they do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, they might have been oiled up. They might have had some type of lubricant with it. But that lubricant's going to dry up. Yeah, and then it's just been sitting stationary yeah, for, for the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah, that's going, that's going to do that, yeah. right? So that's really common with all moving parts. Yeah. If they're not... You know, if the if, if the preventative maintenance is not there, if you're not oiling it up every three or four years, you're going to have that problem. And by the way, it's going to happen because who the fuck oils up those type of things? <laughs> you know, not even me. I, yeah. I say this stuff. I'm not going to ever do that. You know, <laughs> I'm the biggest procrastinator in the world, you know. But all that being said, right, when you take it out, sometimes uh, uh, pliers or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a group joint pliers. It, like you take the what the lip is either on the frame or on the door. You just take it and you go lefty loosey and it pops it right out because they're twisted in there. Mm-hmm. They're usually twisted into the frame. And I don't, what was on the floor, Maggie? What was the pivot point that was on the floor? There was a pivot point of something on the floor for you, right? When you were taking yours out. Yes, there. So there's like a plate, isn't there? Yeah, there was something on the bottom, and that was stationary. Like you had to remove the top. And then pop out the bottom. Is there any type of like flooring repair you have to do at that point? I don't remember that part. Nick did that part. I think there wasn't like a. I don't remember there being like a hole in the floor. Okay, I think it was like a that would sc- be my... It was like s- small screw holes, okay. not like a big. Th- that's what I thought, but I I wasn't sure if they all were that way. Yeah. But I'm guessing, and this was down in Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm guessing that is probably mostly universal. So if it's that way, if if it's that way here, and it's that way down there, it should be that way. But as far as like the hole that will be in the top of the frame, if you care about that hole, yeah, there was a hole there. Glue and sawdust. Yeah, you can buy some sawdust or get some sawdust from a local shop, and then just put a bunch of glue in there and just pack it full with sawdust, wait for it to dry, and then. Make it look like it's together. Mm-hmm. Or you could do wood putty. It would be a lot of wood putty, but you could fill up some of it with like installation foam, just a little mm-hmm. bit, and let it expand, and then fill in the rest with wood putty, and it would look good enough. Um, yeah. You know, if you want to do that, you don't have to fill that hole either. Mm-hmm. But now, what do you put in there? What would you put in? I, there's a lot of things that you could do in that door frame mm-hmm. you could put curtains a lot of people have doing curtains now that's like a very big thing yeah. make a decorative curtains for the inside of a closet for functional purposes too or you're gonna put in like sliding doors right or a double swing door right mm-hmm. what would you do maggie i think that we in the one that in the one that we did it was we did a curtain because I turned it into like my craft closet, which was was fine for us. But like, yeah, I, I don't really know. I'm not to think of it. I don't really think that there's a closet door that I actually like. I've had bifold doors and I've had sliding doors, and I don't like either of them. So yeah, <laughs> I will. Both a pain in the I head. will say the only ones the only ones I would go with would be a sliding door, and I want to justify why. Mm-hmm. So if you get a double bypassed sliding door. 
your life will change forever. Okay? Because sliding doors are a nightmare to work with. They mm-hmm. just are. Right? They're they're frustrating. They fall off the railing a lot. They're the guy doesn't always work, you know. But you have they have hardwood floors. Mm-hmm. Right? That makes a big difference for gliding doors. They have a hardwood floor and they also have like the perfect it just to me, why have a swing door that takes up space in that mm-hmm. beautiful little spot you got? Because I think that's close to the corner. Yeah. I think you don't want to put a swinging door there. You got so much around it, you don't want to deal with it. I think keeping it a sliding door mm-hmm. could be really nice. And I would get a double bypassed railing for your 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 door. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what that means is the way it's done above in the railing ensures that it's not going to fall off of its, you know, they can run simultaneously yeah. and they're in two separate rails. Mm-hmm. And rather in they're sharing one rail, but they're on one side of the rail and the other one's on the other side of the rail. So now they're both in their own separate rail yeah. on both sides of the rail. And that's why the double bypass is like such mm-hmm. a life-changing, it's wild once you do that, you'll never not want to do it. Now, I would buy a longer rail than you need, cut it down, mm-hmm. and then add it into your closet. You're probably going to have, I, I from what the photo looks like, it looks like a non-standard size closet door mm-hmm. entry. So I'm going to say you're probably going to need to buy a longer railing than you would otherwise and then just have it be cut down, you know, uh, and then go from there. Mm-hmm. What does that you yeah. agree? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say we answered that one. Knocked it out of the park. One hundred percent, Manny. <laughs> Manny is our sound engineer. Matt, say hi so no one thinks I'm crazy. I don't exist. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> well, I actually thought you were gonna leave me hanging for a second. And I oh you're an asshole, Matt. I love you so much, man. But all that being <laughs> said, Matt's our sound engineer. And Maddie, right now we are at one hundred percent. Would you believe it? Woo, <laughs> man! His lack that was of a excitement. lot of enthusiasm for I'm, Matt. For Matt, that's so much enthusiasm. <laughs> but that being said, Maggie, we're batting a thousand right now. Are you ready for the next one? Let's just just chance it. Let's see how good we're gonna do. Ooh, I cracked all my fingers on one time. Let's do it. Here's one I've tried to Google lightly, and mostly because I don't know what the parts are called. I rent, and I want to know how to fix the handle of my toilet. It flushes, but it seems that maybe the handle became loose in contact with the lever to flush. I have to press it super hard and then push it down. Otherwise, it doesn't seem to catch. Does that make sense? See, I can't even describe it well to research on my own. Me and my Michi, Mm. kitty cat in Spanish, would be ever so grateful. Oh, okay. Thank you cute for saying they sent in such a cute little photo of a beautiful little kitty cat. Okay, let's back up a little quick. You don't need to know the names. You're yeah. doing great. You described that f- <clears throat> fine. Yeah. Okay, you did good. Don't beat yourself up before you ask the question. You know, like, it's okay. I think sometimes we put a, this in a roadblock in the way mm-hmm. for us. I mean, emotionally, we make our, we like disparage ourselves yeah. before we can even partake in something that might we don't we don't know you don't know what you don't know so never beat yourself up from not knowing okay but all of that being said god that's an adorable cat i love that cat <laughs> all that being said now let's walk through it maggie do you do you know do you, you have knowledge on this because you heard me talk at the very least you've heard me talk about this 
a million times, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I got the gist of what they were saying. Do you, before I say anything, Maggie, <laughs> do you think you have the answer? Uh, I want to see if Maggie's going to bat a thousand is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so let me in, make just make sure I understand. I know correctly. I'm going to bat a thousand. Because <laughs> I know that the toilet handle is connected to the lever that then has a chain that goes down to the rubber thing. Right? And then the toilet lever Killing lifts it. up the rubber thing. Yep. And that's what lets all the water out to flush it. Yep, you got it. And they have to press it super hard. And down, otherwise it doesn't seem to catch. So it sounds like either there's like something with the handle itself where it's losing its range of motion, like some calcium buildup or like something like that, or the lever is not lifting correctly. Maggie. Is that close? You are so close. (laughs) I do not think you're right. Okay. Okay. So there is a chain or a string yeah. that is connecting the level to that rubber thing, which is called a flapper. Yeah. Okay? The flapper just sits on there and does its job. The key is when they said they got to push it down real hard for it to catch. Now, what they mean mm-hmm. by that, they that chain is not taut. It's loose. It's too loose. They just they shorten the chain. Too- shorten the chain. Yes! Maggie, you did it! Maggie, you did it! Oh! Maggie, come in red hot! Solving the problem! But that's what it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're going to take the, the, the toilet tank lid off, and you're going to look down there, and you're going to see this chain. Yeah. And if it's not already tight, like no slack in it, it's not going to do its job when you push the level down because it has to pull it up. But it's not going to be able to pull it up, right, if it doesn't have a short enough chain yeah. to add to grab it, right? Mm-hmm. So just all you got to do, now it all depends on how the flapper and, and, and everything is connected. Sometimes the chain just has like a little hook that you could just like pull up and then pull through that hook and then place down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to, like, actually change the height of the chain, depending on what kind of chain it is. But when you open it up, you'll have a better idea. Yeah. You'll have a better idea of what kind of chain it is and how you can lift it up, how you can tighten it. At the very least, you can zip tie it. At the mm-hmm. very least, you can zip tie it higher if you cannot figure it out. And then see if that works. And if that works, then you can find a more permanent solution that works best for you. But that's where I would, that's, what, that's the yeah. direction I would go in. Maggie? Are you satisfied with that answer? Uh, yeah, I think so. We got there. Okay. It just took me a second. Matt, <laughs> Matthew, are you satisfied with that answer? I'll add one thing. Oh. At an old apartment, the chain connected to like a metal lever of some kind. Yeah. So that bent and was loosening my chain. Oh, uh, that was a there good you go. Matthew, There you go, Matt. You got Matthew's batting a thousand <laughs> too, everybody. <laughs> Wow. Between the three of us, wow, we, 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 we got are, a good answer. We're all batting a thousand, which honestly <laughs> never happens. Never happens. But that being said, Matt's right because sometimes that lever yeah. actually has a bend in it, or uh, or kind of like a curve in it. Yeah, that's a little too severe. You can still fix it though by doing the fix that we were talking about most right. of the time. But sometimes you've got to replace the whole thing. If you got to replace the whole lever, right? Then all it is is going up by the lever and behind it, inside the toilet tank, will be some type of screw that you can unscrew mm-hmm. and then detach it all and then put it all back together with the crescent wrench and everything. And it, it, that's you're good to go. So question. Yes. How 
would a toilet lever get bent if it's inside the toilet? Someone could have bent it on purpose for the the shape of the curvature of the toilet. Mm. And over time, it could slag more. It could get loose inside of its, you know, the mm. hole that it's screwed into. So you could tighten it up and that could do it. Or it could be the, the water pulling down the flapper over and over and over mm. and over again. Mm-hmm. Is then slowly dipping that already bent metal that is weakened now. Sure. And then pulling it down by that string. If it's tight and it's doing its job, right? And even if it pulls it down a milli a milli inch, right? I don't know what, what milli- millimeter. Inch? A millimeter? Is that what you call it? Even yeah. if it's pulling down a millimeter, not a milli inch. What the <laughs> me making up my own <laughs> form of measurement. You're, you're blending yeah. blending the two different but kinds. But <laughs> even if it pulls it down a uh, a millimeter, right? Yeah. That's still enough maggie to cause it to be too much slack in it for it to do its job okay okay did i do it did we do it got it Nailed we're it. all good out of the- oh we are batting <laughs> a thousand in a three-way two out tie of five. Two well, out of five. Let's well keep where going. to go we gotta go maggie <laughs> let's get the next question hi mercury my name is kai my pronouns are they he First, I just want to say that I'm a huge fan of the show. It has helped my partner and I tremendously. We just recently bought a house that is quite old, 120 years. So we have been listening to quite a few episodes and learning quite a bit. So I have two questions. My first question is, we have an old hardwood floor upstairs that we think is at least 50 to 60 years old. It's in decent shape, but somebody has painted over it. So we were curious if we could sand it down and put some sort of self-leveling finish or seal. And I was curious if you had any tips for that. And my second question is we have really old windows. Luckily, we live in the south, so it's not too bad in the winter. But in the summer, I'm sure we're not getting great insulation and energy efficiency. They're old enough that they're rope pulley windows. And we'd like to get the windows replaced. And we know that that's going to be a pretty high price tag. We're curious if that's something that we could DIY ourselves or if that's just worth it to, I guess, splurge or if if it's worth it to sort of get a professional in to do the windows themselves. Because I've read there's some things with warranty, voiding, and that windows themselves are quite difficult. And then when you get into an old house such as this that you never know what you're going to run into. So those are my two questions. And again, I just want to say thank you for everything that you do. You're a huge inspiration and a huge help to me and my partner personally, and I know so many others. So thanks. I hope you have a great day, as does everybody else on your team. Bye, y'all. Kai, you are such a wonderful person. (laughs) So sweet. Kai, first and foremost, let me just say right now that I love that you're so well-informed on what is best for your home and what routes to go. That is beautiful. Like, way to go. I'm going to start with the window, and then I'm going to go into the floor. I'm going to kind of go backwards here. Maggie, please, as a homeowner, Maggie, as a multiple homeowner, right? You've owned two in your lifetime. You Please let me know if I'm missing anything here. Yeah. I would not. If, if It sounds like from your experience level and the style in which you're dealing with, with those double-hung doors, uh, windows, rather, I would never advise you to do it yourself Mm -hmm. i wouldn't diy and the reason why is because those windows specifically the ones that we got a photo of Mm -hmm. are done in a different way than what the standard windows are now so when you take that when you take out the whole thing you're going to have 
a non-standard thing to deal with. And the reason why that matters is because the cost goes right up anytime that is not cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that means that you are going to spend much more money even on yourself to do a job that is already a specialty that could result in even more money. So I'm going to advise to find a window installer that it has experience with older windows to begin with. And then to go that route. Because they're big. Those those are mm-hmm. big windows. Yeah, they're not standard at all. Oh, yeah. They're straight up. Now, you won't find. And, and on the market, I don't know. You might get lucky. But I don't think, from my experience, Mm-mm. I don't think you're going to find anything that's already not made. Like anything that's already made. Right? You're going to have to get something custom made to fit in that window, more than likely. And you would have to do that. You would have to do that anyways. Like, I wouldn't advise you to put together a a version for yourself. Now, if you're like, all I want to do, though, is prevent the draftiness, and I want to get through one more winter. Now, there's a solution there, right? And and that would be to cock that to high heaven, right? I think you could get an affordable heat detector. What is that called, Maggie? A thermal gun? A thermal gun. That's what it is. And you look at the window. You close the window, all of it. And you run that thermal detector on that area and then try to find the spots that are letting out the most heat, right? And then that way, you can fill it up with caulk or you can wood putty it or place plastic all over that spot. Or, you know, you could do all that and that will help the problem for at least one more winter or maybe two more winters if you need to financially get ready for a larger investment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Would you agree with all that, Maggie? Is my assessment in the right direction here? Yes, absolutely, 100%. I would also say that there are rebates for windows that are more energy efficient. And so if you're going to go the route of replacing your windows and spending that money, just check and see if there are, I don't know if it's like local versus federal. So just check and see about rebates in your area. And you might have to spend a little bit more on the outset, but you might get really good kickbacks on getting energy efficient windows. But I'm pretty sure those have to be professionally installed. If this was a standard window, if this was a standard one, if I'm wrong and you somehow find a standard, you could try Habitat Humanity too. Mm -hmm. You could try other routes that might have cheaper options that are already there you know you're kind of dealing with like an already pre-existing unusual window setting because you got three windows side by side by side yeah and you're gonna want them all to look alike Mm -hmm. so you're gonna want to be mindful of all that so i do think the cost is not gonna be cheap I do think it's going to be an investment, but there are like things I mentioned that you could to mitigate the problem right now and kind of work with what you have. You know, I I know sometimes people just turn those into windows that can never open, mm. and then it's and about seal, seal the whole thing shut until yeah. they're able to take care of it. That is a route you could do, and honestly, I've heard that be a really successful route for a lot of people when it comes to draftiness. Mm. So if that is a real, and I'm just assuming that's a big problem because that's what you led with. I don't know if that actually is. Now, okay, before we go on, Maggie, to the next part of this question, Matt, do you have anything you want to add to Bad 1000 here? 
my old apartment had windows exactly like that and they were completely like disintegrating <laughs> and mm-hmm. full of i think cast iron counterweights so yeah it's gonna be a mess yeah yeah matt way to go matt is contributing <laughs> matt is contributing in this uh, <laughs> uh podcast today in a great way thank you for the weight thing because that that is the the big thing mm-hmm. matt's right the mechanism that actually does it all is also going to have to be replaced now uh, uh, they they all operate differently you could do a different kind of double hung door that has like a spring system on the side but all that means you need to take that out as well. And a lot of that could leave damage or leave a larger than the hole that you, you can replace. And it's all going to be a, a custom thing. So I, I really do think, unless you're ready to take out the whole window and everything mm-hmm. and redo it all and just make it standard and make the window smaller and all that jazz, the, I, I, which would also be a nightmare to do. Yeah. Because um, then you're like building out wall and yeah, and if you haven't had wall. if you haven't had a full construction experience, yeah, which I don't think Kai has from what they said in their message. I I don't know if I would advise that route, but I do think the things that we have said will get you in the right direction or even solve the problem. Yeah. So we are continuing to bat a thousand, everybody. We're doing really good. Now here's the second half <laughs> of the question. Okay, now the hardwood floor. Now, how do you restore this? How do you get this back mm-hmm. to life? How do you sand it down? First and foremost, it doesn't look like it's beyond repair, right, Maggie? No. It looks like, honestly, this looks pretty, this looks not as bad as you could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maggie, what's the route that you would go with? You've done hardwood floors mm-hmm. before, right? What's the route that you've done before? Yeah, I mean, it does require, if you're going to do it yourself, it does require certain equipment. Like, you're going to need a professional sander, like one of those big, giant orbital sanders. That yeah, like, think a, about. like a buffer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like a buffer. Yeah, but it's not, like, even the paint, it's just like sanding off a layer of, like, sealant. Like, it's not really going to be that much different. The only thing might be, there might be bits of paint that get into, like, the cracks or into, like, any little divots that you can't get out because without, like, sanding down too much. But I I, I don't think that the paint really shouldn't impact it as much. You know, it's similar to, like, staining unless you have a different... No, no, you're doing great. Maggie's doing great. I was just going to add the machine that we're talking about is called a drum sander. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. The drum sanders are floor machines. You can rent them. For a, a fairly okay price, what what mm. is it, Maggie? Do you know what it was? No, we we looked into doing it ourselves, but we ended up hiring somebody. But yeah, renting them. I mean, people rent them all the time. Okay, cool. I I found. Uh, I'm just googling it, which is how I find a lot of my answers. By the way, <laughs> um, right now I think it's going to range between somewhere between. 40 bucks to $100 yeah. to rent it for a day. For a day, yeah. And you're going to want it for at least a week. You're going to want it for, I mean, at the minimal a week. Yeah. From what you've shown us with all the Harvard mm-hmm. floors literally everywhere. And trust me when I say this, I've only done a little bit of floor work, but I've worked with people who have done a lot of floor work. Please do not think you could do this in two days. Yeah, no. Okay? It's, a professional be- might be able to. Your, <laughs> your back yeah. will be wrecked. Because the vibrations alone yeah. from the machine, you are holding it and letting it do its job. But the vibrations will go straight to your spine, Kai, yeah. and it will beat you up. So be cautious when you're doing it and try um, a small section. Do a spot that no yeah. one's going to see first 
Because it, the way that you operate those machines vary, mm-hmm. and that some are going to require different settings and stuff, and some are going to require you to drag it in a certain way. So just get the flow of it before you start doing your kitchen, per se. Yeah. Well, and consider what you're going to do with the baseboards. So you generally have two options. You can remove the baseboards and get all the way up you know, as close as you can and then replace them. Or what some people do is they sand right up into the baseboard, ruin the bottom of the baseboard, and then cover it with quarter round. Yeah. So it depends on which route you want to go. I'm going to tell you right now, Kai, please don't do the quarter round. (laughs) It's awful. No, please don't. It never looks good. Quarter round is like when you see quarter round anywhere, okay, typically someone done fucked up, okay? Quarter round is great for so many things they make a product called pvc quarter round mm-hmm. all right that's mm-hmm. even better because you could put that in the bathroom and boy did i use that whenever i <laughs> fucked up the linoleum or something in someone's bathroom you just mm-hmm. use up to cover it up you know and that's fine and dandy and does its job but it doesn't look it doesn't last it, over time no they get beat up so yeah. much because they're in that weird angle anyway and they separate chairs beat the shit out of those yeah bed frames and stuff too so just I would say try to stay away from that. I would take the trim off. Yeah. Take the baseboard right off and then go up uh, as close as you can without damaging the wall mm-hmm. and then you'll be good to go. Take your time. Take your yeah. time with all of this and go with the grain, right? You yeah. Go with the grain. Yeah. Go yeah. with the grain. And then, you know, after that, it's it's a matter of like, you know, making sure it's like super clean and you get all of the sawdust off and all of the dust off. Yep. And then staining if you want and sealing. We chose not to stain our floors. And I liked that. That gives that like that natural oak, you know. Some people do one room at a time. Yeah. Some people do one room at a time. Other people move everything out. You haul it mm-hmm. and then stay at a hotel for a couple of days and do it that way. That is like yeah. because in, 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 it sounds like that's expensive. There's a lot of things to do. It's actually saving you time and money. Well, to do yeah, that. we we put moved everything into the kitchen and stayed at a friend's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense, though. It makes sense. Yeah, But we were able to get it all done in one pro- like in, in one, one in one week. Well, we had, like, again, we had a professional, I use that term loosely, <laughs> come in yeah. and do it for us. I I uh, will tell you right now, I don't think a professional needs to do this. No. I, I, I Looking back, I regret hiring yeah. somebody else to do it. I Because also, the, the here's the thing. Even a professional, in this instance, yeah. the thing you need the most is, honestly, the floor machine. Mm-hmm. That is what you need the most. And then the next thing, you need to have patience. Yeah. You know what professionals don't have? Patience. patience. Yeah, because your home is not their home. They don't, mm-hmm. you know, they'll care. they want to get done and they're, get paid and move some, on. <laughs> they're, they're going to care. They're going to care. But if there is a a shortcut mm-hmm. and it's tempting, they'll take it. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing flooring, I don't think you should ever take a shortcut. But yeah. hey, you're the one fucking on your knees half the damn time doing all the work. Yeah. So I, uh, I mean, I'm well, understanding that, of it. But. That looks like oak plank. Too, which is what we had in our house and that's really common so even if there are a couple of boards that are like damaged beyond repair which it doesn't really look like that's the case it's really easy to replace them what is the finish that you used we just used a polyurethane yeah um, here i like polyurethanes so much yeah they're so much better than the alternative yeah. for two reasons a they're much more cost effective mm-hmm. and b i think they're easier to work with yeah 
No, how was what was what was your experience? I mean, I like I liked it. So we didn't do a stain, which I liked. I liked the natural, you know, light color of the hardwood oak. Yeah. But the with the sealant, I would recommend doing like make sure you do a bunch of research with that and do it correctly because like the person mm. we hired cut main shortcuts <laughs> and and it didn't last as long as it should have. Polyurethane like, didn't last. Well, that long? we also had dogs with nails. Oh. Well, it's polyur- like the poly- ca- if done right, this should last a That's long time. That's what I'm saying. Time. If done right, yeah. Polyurethane, right? it's tougher he didn't than do it mo- right, and and I don't, rem- I can't remember exactly what, but we knew that he did something wrong. Like he put the second coat on too fast, or didn't. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember knowing that he did it wrong, and then we kind of paid the price so, with it, of it not like lasting. As, I being think, as durable. I think the curing part is yeah. pretty accurate because the way that polyurethane works, it 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 it. it it will set fast, right? Mm-hmm. But it won't cure fast. Yeah. And I think and you rushed it. it does take, this is why those jobs don't take two days. Yeah. They take a little longer because it takes one day or two or three days to do the whole stripping and get it mm-hmm. all, you know, ready to go. And then it takes, you know, an entire day or two days to do the first coat yeah. of the polyurethane. It will take you so much time. But Make then, sure you have a respirator. But then, <laughs> yes, but then you have to. Wait yeah. for it to cur. And the reason why I say that is because that bottom layer will always be the bottom layer. Mm-hmm. But it will only be exposed to the air one time. So the longer it's exposed to the air, the more time it gets set properly yeah. before you suffocate the second, the first coat with the second yeah. coat. Yeah. And that undercoat will never have another opportunity to cure and mm-hmm. get stronger. Yeah. So you want that first layer to have the time to be like, I'm in here. I'm ready to go. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to put it in there, wait an hour and go, oh, I'm ready to go. Oh, I can't breathe. You know, yeah. and that's essentially what you're doing. You're suffocating that first layer. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, now that you say that, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened. Yeah. It's almost like I've been doing this for 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Like, though, he he like we were like, OK, we're going to hire a professional. But then he cut corners and we got the quarter rounds and we got the like. You know, the polyurethane didn't cure correctly. And we, you know, looking back, I, w- I would have done it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think if I did it to today, I would do it myself. You know what's interesting? In the same in the same question, we've answered one about, hey, you need to go to a professional. <laughs> and we answered another one where it's like, you shouldn't go to a professional. You do that. Yeah. You can do and that I think that's telling because, yeah. like, if we're talking about cost, the windows will cost more. Yeah. But the DIY aspect of a flooring is not it the it's not that hard. It's hard on your body. Yeah. That is the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that people you know, like I always use caution with flooring because it's where a lot of professionals were hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. You throw your back out, your knees get damaged, you hit your head on something because you're down below and you're not looking. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things that can go wrong when you are working on the floor. It's just harder. It's yeah. a, you know, it's yeah. it's harder to get a good angle on anything when you're above it like that. So just be mindful, go slow and give yourself ample time. Maggie, you said a week, right? Mhm. Minimal. Minimal. Yeah. I'm going to say if you do one room at a time, which would be okay. Yeah. If you rent it off and you did one room and then you waited a few months, maybe a year, you could always do the other room. Yeah. I know some people 
who are doing flooring every year for one room every year and they just keep cycling around. Mm-hmm. It takes like nine years to get done and then they just do it back again. That's a common occurrence that people sometimes do if they're really obsessed with it. The only thing I will say about that is that that transition pad between rooms mm-hmm. matters. Because if you have a transition pad or something that separates the new finish with the old finish, mm-hmm. it always looks a little better. Yeah. All right? So keep in mind. Or a rug. A really good big rug. <laughs> <laughs> Go underneath. You know, do it where you know the rug is going to end in a hallway or something. Like yeah. right in front of those doors by the, the staircase that we saw. Mm-hmm. You put a big, nice, long rug there. That covers up where you finished doing the finish, and then mm-hmm. you, no one will know. It'll, it'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. You agree with that? Yeah. Okay, cool. I think we answered this one a thousand. Hey, Matt, before we're done here. I was hoping you'd do this. Okay, do we have anything to add, Maddie? Just one thing. The section of the floor that's painted, given this house's long, long, long history, and you don't know when exactly that painting was, mm. possibly let. Mm. Oh! Matt called is it. on fire! <laughs> Matt is on fire today! No, 100. Okay, let me add to that. Now, lead was primarily used up until the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Okay? It does not mean it got stopped being used in the 1980s. It technically, from what we know, it was really just siphoned out completely by the early 90s. Oh, sure. Right? But it was, in some areas of the country, it was still used... In the 80s. Yeah. But it was really used very heavily in the 50s and 60s and partially in the 70s. Studies started coming out in the late 60s saying, hey, you know, uh, maybe we should be doing this. And mm-hmm. then it took a long time for it to, you know, like grow into society's consciousness. But all of that being said, that's very good. How do you do that? Get yourself a lead testing kit yeah. from hardware stores. You can order one online. Wear a respirator when you chip it because as soon as you chip it, that lead goes in the air. Be mindful and then send it in and get it tested just to make sure. If you were really cautious, I will say if you're going to be doing this much and that paint is kind of throughout the whole area, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Then I would say you're going to want to do that. Well, and I think there are lead testing kits that are immediate. Like the cot- are there lead testing the cotton swab or the cotton mm-hmm. swab terms a different um, color because I've seen that I've seen that oh. on Pyrex oh. uh, TikTok. Oh yeah, <laughs> where people right. get stuff from vintage like, stores and then they test it for lead before they use it because it's so old yeah. that it's possible to be used with lead. So I think they do have ones that are the cotton swab will turn a different color if there's lead in it. I will say. That if you do that, right, like, use more than one kit yeah. on more than one area. Yeah. Because sometimes you get inconclusive results, and I don't want to lead you down the wrong path yeah, when it comes true. to your safety. True. Okay. Matt, great job. Maggie, great job. Mercury, great, great job. job. <laughs> we are batting go, go. a thousand. Now, before we go <laughs> to the next one, I got to pee. Um, I have to pee like a Swedish. I love that Matt puts uh, pee, pee break, break up on the... I love it. Yeah, I got to figure out how to make it flash. I... Why is it backwards? Because you're seeing the mirrored version of the video. Yeah, Maggie. Oh. Get with it, Maggie. Oh. This is the internet. Things that we see are always backwards, Maggie. Get with the program. <laughs> okay, I got to pee like a Swedish I'm gonna come with racehorse. 
Don't Maggie leave me to I, entertain people by myself. Maggie and I both have to pee like <laughs> Swedish racehorses. If you're wondering why are they Swedish, you should listen to the After Show pre-show to learn why. And we, yeah, I don't know. I'll leave it up to Matt. No one leave. Ooh, ooh, mood lighting. Sorry. <laughs> that was so bright. Why did I do that? I just I I, looked, I felt like I was too dark. Uh-huh. Like you couldn't see my face. I'm okay with you not seeing my face. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maggie, are you ready? Ready. Do Matt, it. Matt, are you ready? Go Matt. Go Matt, go. Hi Mercury. My name is Lo. My pronouns are she, they. I am calling because my partner and I are about to become first-time homeowners, which is very exciting. And as two people who have lived in rentals with white walls our entire life, the very first thing we want to do is paint everything in our new house, which is exciting, but I have no idea how to do that. So my questions for you are this. How do we figure out how much paint we need, how much time should we estimate for everything to take, and what other supplies do we need to think about adding into our budget to make sure that we are able to afford and get everything we need to make our new house feel like our home. Thank you so much. I love you, and I appreciate everything you do. Have a great day. Bye. Okay, Lo, this is such a good question. Because I am obsessed with painting. Uh, Maggie knows this. Painting is like my my world of knowledge that I uh, do really well at. So what I'm trying to say is, I'm going to continue to bat a thousand, everybody. <laughs> yes! Mercury is doing great today. Now, all that being said, how much paint do you need? Well, it's all going to matter what size of room you have. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been using online paint calculators for years. The reason why is because they'll kind of give you an idea of what will be what you need, right? If it's a 12 by 12, typically a gallon and a half is good for finish, right? But you're probably going to need more than that. I always err on the side of an extra gallon. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If you need two gallons, I say three. If you need one, I say two. If you need one and a half, I say three. Do you know what I mean? Like, I always go a little bit more or a lot more because you never know you're going to need touch-up. Mm-hmm. And you'll never get, if you wait three years, no matter how, if you have the formula or not, you'll never get it exactly yeah. identical. So you got to be mindful of having that extra paint, especially if it's sealed up and never open. If you never open that paint, it's going to stay good for a long time. But once you open it, you put like a lifespan on that paint, and mm-hmm. now it's going to be done and, and, and dead basically in two years or a year and a half or whatever it is. So be mindful of that. So as far as how much paint you need, that's where you start. If it's a 12 by 12 room, which, you know, if, if we're doing with that, or a 10 by 10 room or anything like that, that's about 1,000 square feet, okay? That's about close to two gallons, but about one and a half. Right, Maggie? Is that your experience? Yeah. 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 That's what, about what we're talking about. Now, once you go past that, right, then we're talking like a living room or a kitchen and all that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, if you can, buying a five-gallon bucket 
is easier for installation. It's easy for application, rather. It's easier for everything. You can put wheels underneath it and just just move it around. I love five-gallon buckets. They're my favorite and most preferred way to paint. So I highly suggest if you're doing a lot of it, you're doing the whole house, mm-hmm. get yourself a bucket that has wheels on it and a paint bucket that can kind of move around. Put the five-gallon bucket in there. Mm-hmm. You put it about like two gallons of the five-gallon bucket that has a paint on it into the other one. And you put something that's called a paint roller screen in it. Mm-hmm. And that paint roller screen, Maggie, looks like this. So you know what I'm talking about. Yep. It's yep. a screen that basically hangs on the side of the bucket. Mm-hmm. And then you can just take the roller. While it's vertical, it rings out the water while you're pressing onto it. Mm-hmm. And the water. It rings out the, the paint while you're running on it. And it helps you go faster, right? So yeah. I love them. I think they're highly underused in a domestic way. In in, in the industry, they're used all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that like other people should use that. I think it's a much better system than just having those flat tiny little paint trays. The tiny little paint oh, trays. Awful. The tiny little they paint trays. Hold anything. Oh, the tiny little. You, because again, you if you need to resupply yourself four or five times in yes. a room. Every time that you have to put more paint into yeah. the that little tiny tray, you're increasing the likelihood you're going to fuck something up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I would rather do it one time for the whole room and then just work. Mm-hmm. Is it going to cost a little more to get a bucket that has wheels on it or like a, a scooter or whatever you use, whatever system you have with it? Yeah, probably, but it's going to make your life a whole lot of Especially if you're either. doing the whole house. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Now, you're also going to want to get yourself an extension. An actual like extension arm for the roller. Mm-hmm. I buy cheap rollers. I don't like expensive rollers. An expensive roller is anything above five dollars to me is expensive. Like a fifteen twenty dollar roller, I don't see the purpose in it. Mm. I like to buy more money on the naps and on the roller covers. Mm-hmm. Like I like to spend money on the good roller covers and then keep the money that I'm saving from it on other supplies like good thicker plastic for the flooring and stuff. I like to have four mil or above. Nothing under four mil would be under my feet. If you have the kind of canvas that goes underneath you mm. that has grips on it, it makes your life easier. So spending more money in the canvas to me makes more sense than spending money on the roller, you know? But the rollers you can get for two dollars. You can get like five of those, mm-hmm. and you would you would save a lot of money if you buy one and you're investing all your money in them. It's fine, but like I don't know, just, I don't think they do a whole lot. I don't think they're that much better. <laughs> Some professionals will swear by them, and others would be like it doesn't really matter. So it depends on what kind of thing you are. I'm kind of like skipping around, mm-hmm. but so as far as how much paint you got, we got you covered there. We're gonna skip how long will the paint take. We'll get there in a second. We'll talk about the supplies. We'll continue to talk about the supplies because we're already talking about the supplies because I'm skipping. <laughs> Maggie, before I continue here, is there anything else you want to add here? As far as supplies? or yeah. So I know it's your favorite too, but a cutting in brush, one of those yeah. like little short ones. Shark with, cuts that are called, yep. Yeah, with the paint pail that has a handle on it and a magnet to hold the brush. When we did our hallway, which has like so many, it had so many like nooks and crannies and corners and you know all of these things it was really helpful and 
like my mom loves doing cutting and she did it all with, with that kind of brush like yeah the right brush and the right pail didn't have to like tape yep. off the ceiling or anything because the way this works for those who are just like kind of new to all this is you're going to do something cutting in, which is all the edges. Yeah. And around the outlets and around the mm. windowsills and around the door frames and by the baseboards. Yeah. Or take the baseboards off, which is always great, and then just paint up until the floor. That's always good, too. But all that being said, that's what cutting in is. And a shortcut is a brush that has a shorter handle, but especially if you have a smaller hand, it actually like fits into your hand perfectly, so it's mm-hmm. easier for you to control. So you you should tape everything off. Everything you do not want to have paint on that's mm-hmm. on the wall, right? The window frame and all that, you know, jazz. Either take it off or cover it up with a painter's tape. I highly suggest frog tape. Frog tape is more expensive, but it has a special kind of adhesive that helps reflect paint from going underneath it. If you're applying it, though, make sure that everything is clean before you apply the tape. You make sure you like clean it all down with some type of multi-purpose mm-hmm. cleaner. And then you make sure it's nice and very dry. It has to be like craving for water, essentially. It has to be super duper craving for moisture. Because when you apply the tape, then it's going to suck it in more. And that's going to keep it from getting onto the, the surface. Mm-hmm. Okay? Once you get everything taped off and you add the canvas, and I highly suggest adding canvas in the whole room. Don't just do a section at a time. You can if you've done this before. If you haven't, I think just canvassing everything off and then covering up everything with plastic that you can't take out of the room because you always think you're going to be clean. But here's the thing. You're not going to be painting doesn't, you know. (laughs) It's not clean. (laughs) If you don't have paint on you by the end of this, you did something wrong. Okay. that's Or in your hair. Yeah. Yeah. It always happens. (laughs) Wear a bonnet if you're if you're painting, by the way, and you have long hair. That just I've learned that the hard way now. Having long mm-hmm. hair and getting mm-hmm. any paint in it is a living nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, that being said, so if you're doing all this, right, then I want you to get that bucket that has the rollers on it and the screen that goes in there, and then you get uh, a paint roller. Oh, my God, I forgot words. <laughs> you get the paint roller that goes onto an extension arm, and then you get... A bucket, a handy pail, they're called, that has a magnetic thing that can hold on to the paintbrush. And you get a plastic fill. You get those little plastic fillers that go inside there so you don't actually get the paint on the plastic. Mm -hmm. So you can, you know, like a liner. That's what it's called. A little liner. And then you get yourself some paintbrushes. A couple of those wonderful little shortcuts. If you don't want a shortcut, get yourself nylon if you're dealing with latex, which is probably what you're doing. So... I'll get yourself some nylon brushes. They're three inch wide. I recommend Purdy is my recommended paint supplier. I love them. And then I think that's basically all it. Now, if you see products that try to tell you there is a shortcut, <laughs> there is not a goddamn shortcut. <laughs> Don't get those products that you fill with paint and then you press and then paint comes out. Yeah. Please. Please, yes, they may work for a second, but once they get clogged up with paint, they almost always fuck up the surface. So be careful, okay? Mm-hmm. Don't go with cheap Don't solutions. Don't go for the gimmicks. Don't go. The, the, the paint guards that you can put on the, mm. the paint roller that keeps it from splashing in your face, 
also make it harder to do something called ladding off. Mm-hmm. Ladding off is this process of you applying the paint on the wall with a roller and then going back over it all and making straight lines mm-hmm. and going over top each section by about three inches. So you're taking that line, that hard straight line that you're creating by going straight down with a l- roller on top of the, the paint. You're using like more of a dryer. Like after you're done applying all of it with a roller, you're going back over it. So your roller is a little mm-hmm. bit more dry. It has no, you don't want to add more paint on the wall at this point. But w- when you go straight down, you're adding this straight edge. And then you're bringing that paint roller like three or four inches over and making another straight line. But the rest of the roller is actually feathering off that previous line. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that all the way across the wall. That's called landing off. If there's a light source coming into the room, you can go either away from it, which will make it easier to not see the line, or go into it, which will make it easier to see the line. And that's how you're able to kind of make it fade and not as visible. Mm. But that's the way I would recommend. But if you're using one of those guards that protect it from paint hitting you in the face, they almost always make it harder to do the job properly. Oh, sure, because you can't see the line that you're creating. Okay. Is there anything we want? Oh, yeah. Well, how long will it take? Oh, Jesus Christ. Longer than you think. Longer than you think. But the the longest (laughs) part, though, the longest part will be prep. Yeah. Prep takes the longest, and it should take the longest. The prep and the cutting in, I think. Yeah. I think the prep and the cutting in does take the longest. The Mm -hmm. actual rolling will take you nothing. Yeah. It always goes fast. A 12-inch roller is good. It's fine. You might need, like, two-inch here and there to get into the spaces you need. And I would suggest that if you need to. But keep this in mind overall. There's something called a weenie roller. And a weenie roller is like a foam roller that goes onto your your roller or on different kinds of rollers. Keep in mind the texture that you're putting on the wall. Okay? Keep it within the realm of similarity. Don't switch the naps that you're using. And that means the length of the the texture or the or like the depth of the, the depth of the roller itself yeah. like some yeah. will be one inch you know three quarters half inch three eighths three eighths is the most common and i recommend three eighths unless you already have texture on the wall but that means you need to keep it three eighths everywhere because mm-hmm. you will see difference between a three eighths and a half inch and you will see difference between textured roller like the ones we're suggesting that have a little bit of tiny little texture on it, or the foam rollers that are just flat. Mm-hmm. You will see a difference between those. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind when you're doing all this process. And I have painted a three-story house that was 4,000 square feet in a day and a half. Mm. I'm a professional. I've done this a lot. I've done this a bunch. I would say, if you've never done this before, I would go by rooms. Yeah. And shared spaces, right? I would go by that first and break it down in processes, but try to do it over a course of like two weeks. Mm-hmm. That was what I would recommend. You agree, Maggie? Yeah. I mean, we did our foyer recently in front hallway, and that took two days and three people. Yeah. The more windows you have, yeah. the more things you have to go around that cannot be moved, the harder it will be. Take off the covers, by the way, of your outlets and your, sw- your yes. switches, by the way. <laughs> uh, don't paint over them and don't paint up to them. Just take them off. They're way easier to yep. work with. And then when you way. put the cover back on, it just hides all the lines. It's fine. Yeah. Now, what else here? 
Yeah, cutting in takes a, a while. And oh, bathrooms. Bathrooms. Bathrooms take way longer than you think. Mm-hmm. Bathrooms have so much to cut around mm-hmm. and so much to worry about, and they're the smallest spaces to work in. <laughs> Bathrooms will take you sometimes twice as long than a living room. All because the size of a room is bigger does not mean it'll take you longer. Right. Yeah, because a big, big wide open space is way easier to roll than a bunch of little nooks and crannies in a small space. Okay. I think we are batting a thousand on this, right? Did it. Matt, are you batting a thousand? Did you have anything to add? Well, I was going to say the thing about the outlet covers. Ah, I cut you she off. She stole it. I stole you got it. it right at the end there. <laughs> okay, everybody. I'm going to call an audible. We have to end this podcast because we have a bunch of things that are going on in this day. We already answered five. That, because was, that was more than five. The that was previous. Like seven. Yeah, we just answered three and one. And we answered two previously. So what? We answered seven today. And yeah. I'm still batting a thousand. Maggie's still batting a thousand, and so Did is it. Matt. So I think we deserve to cut this podcast a little bit before we, we were going to originally end it. And we're going to wish you a goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Handyman Hotline. If you want to be a part of this community, you can in a really fun way. Now we have a Discord. And you can go to our website, MercuryStartups.com, and learn more about the Discord and get involved that way. Please do that. We're having a blast with our audience on Discord. A lot of fun stuff. That audience there is going to be the first ones to find out about all the fun stuff. Remember, you can also be a part of our Patreon. We're doing a book club that me and Basil are going to be doing it together with a podcast. And you'll be able to listen to Basil's Book Bugs podcast or whatever we're calling it basil's book bugs yeah that you can find out more by going to our patreon or discord as well and remember my book is currently out too called safe and sound a renter's friendly guide to home repair keep an eye out for all the places we're going to on the tour we got 37 more cities to go and without further ado do i want to say goodbye to everyone who's listening thank you to maggie conrad for being my co-host thank you to matthew allen hag for making the sound happen now Bye-bye, everyone. See you next time. And remember, you're worth the time it takes to learn a new skill. The theme song was created by Rody Walker. Questions were picked up by our production assistant, Ziggy. A big thank you to our executive producer, Basil. And this podcast was recorded and edited by Matthew Allen Hag. Thank you for listening. See you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Handyman Hotline, you can listen to an even longer version by supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon, $10 or more, you'll be able to get an extra long 30 to 45 minute section every single week. Isn't that amazing? More of me and Maggie. Wow! So thank you so much for all those who already support us, and you too can support us and listen to more on our Patreon. Thank you. Bye-bye. So grab your hammer and nails and paint your nails if you want to. You're worth